Hello, Jordan. What's going on, Michael? You know, we made a big promise about weekly uploads. <laughs> but then something happened. Something big happened. My man, Syat Fitness, is a married man. Wait, is that so what congr- happened? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can't fall back on that as but, an excuse. But congratulations to Jordan. Oh, because I, I didn't bring my microphone to the that week so yeah i guess that is sort what happened was i didn't bring my microphone and i was yeah i'm just not carrying this huge microphone to the week of my wedding but yeah that is what happened thank you bro look there's a there was a lot going on we we finished the book which is incredibly exciting there's been many moving pieces so you know we're not putting this squarely on the on on the back of your wedding but but this is more so not an excuse about our lack of uploading but rather wishing you a, a congratulations the book writing has been taking up a significant amount of time, which uh, it's funny because we do it so early in the morning. I don't think about it as like work throughout the day, but like it takes up the first two hours of the day every day. So I'm very excited to be, well, and we're not done with it yet because still got to go through all the rounds of edits and still got more stuff to do. But the first draft is done and uh, that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Incredibly exciting. Someday we will tell the story of this book and the back end <laughs> and the bureaucrats and the system. But for right now, we're <laughs> I'm mostly kid, but uh, yeah, really, really excited about uh, what we put together. Yeah. Me as well, man. How are you? How's Gary this morning? He was good. He was uh, real hot on NFTs. Oh, I know someone else who's real hot on NFTs as well. You? His name's Michael Vacanti. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am and I'm not. I still I still don't understand it. I was on a text thread with two of my two of my well, one of my oldest friends and then a college friend, both very very smart guys, and uh one of them said I was talking about some of the the different projects in the the crypto NFT space that are doing well. And he was like I, I just I can't invest in it. I just don't get it. And I said, "Honestly, I don't get it either." But but there are too many people from different worlds, right? Like guys who I revered in the poker community 15 to 18 years ago, uh, Gary, obviously, like too many worlds colliding around the same space of really, really smart people who have better vision of the future than I do that I'm, I'm uh, you know, making a small bet on the fact that they see it even if I can't. Yeah. And also I'm, you said something, it's along the same lines, but you said something to me, like there are too many people putting like so, so much investment into this, like putting so much time, so much energy, so much money into this, that it's like, you, you don't see it as a possibility for them to let this fail. Like, and who knows, like m- maybe it could, but that's one of the things you're hedging on is like these people with, with V friends specifically. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. De- definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we're talking, we're not even going to get into this because that's not what this episode's going to be about, but yeah, Gary, Gary was real hype on NFTs this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Cool. What do we got? What do we got planned for today? I'm really hoping my audio is all right. It's showing me some weird frequencies, but I think it should be okay. We'll find out. (laughs) 
Uh, what do we got for the day? We got we got a couple of good questions, but you know, I just we're in no hurry, Jordan. I know it's been a little while, but <laughs> what are you up to today? You rolling? You got an eleven o'clock jujitsu? Yeah, I got jujitsu at eleven. Uh, yeah, got jujitsu at eleven. Got a mentorship Q and A as well. It's gonna be a good one. And some good questions. Yeah, I, I was I was going to. I've been meaning to f- record this or film this YouTube video about my jujitsu cut for like a month now. Granted, I had the wedding and travel and da 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 and book writing and all this other stuff, but uh, I think I'm just gonna make it a podcast instead of a YouTube video because I, I was I've been planning on doing it, but the YouTube videos they take so long that the the filming isn't the issue. The filming is relatively quick. The it's the editing. Mm-hmm. The editing takes so long, and so I think I'm like, you know what? I just need to stop, stop trying to like wait and wait and wait to find the perfect amount of time to do it, and I'm just gonna put it all into a podcast and drive people there instead. So cool. That's what I've got later today as well. What about you? You've got you rolling jujitsu? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't roll. <laughs> we know this. I got I got a rest day. Um, but hang on. Let's let's go in on that for a second. Your the editing process is a huge pain and takes an absurd amount of time. Will you still film the podcast to put it on YouTube or no? No, probably not. Because the whole one of the reasons I like YouTube is the visual aspect of like putting up B roll of my my workouts, um, being able to show people more specifics of what I've done with the visual aspect of it. But I was doing I was doing an inner circle live yesterday, and basically people were asking me when is the video going to come out, and I told them I was like, listen, the reason it hasn't come out yet is because it takes an obscene amount of time to edit all of this and put it together the way that I want. And so I've just been procrastinating because I know it's going to take so long. Mm-hmm. And I was like, would you prefer that you wait and maybe potentially another month until this video comes out? Or would you rather I just make a podcast out of it so you can get it sooner? And everyone was like, would rather a podcast because like, number one, like even if they would watch it, they're like, we'd rather just get this information sooner. And um, yeah. So I'm just going to, I'm going to make it a podcast. What does that mean for long-term YouTube strategy for you? Man, I don't know. I mean, I'm in in an ideal world, I would do one YouTube video a week. It's just, I, I think what ha- what's happened is um, two things. Number one is before in my career, I, I had... I had more time to do it and that like I didn't have as many different projects going on. So between book writing and all this other stuff, uh, I don't have as much time necessarily to do YouTube videos. And and just time dedicated, like 10 plus hours dedicated to your own health per week, if not more than that. That's what I was going to say next is my priorities have changed as well. And so sometimes my brain gets stuck in the, you should still be making this content, but Right now, my own personal health and fitness is way more important than cranking out more YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So, so I think that's the other thing as well. So for me, I, I think the biggest thing is if and when I think it's appropriate to do a YouTube video, I guess I will. And candidly, I think it would be very appropriate to make a YouTube video for this cut. I just, I don't want to, is what it was. I don't, I don't want to spend that time making that video. I'd rather just talk into a microphone for an hour and get it all out there and not have to edit it. Yeah. Understandable. This is where uh, this is where a remote editor, on, because you said the filming isn't hard, but the the editing is potentially freelancing a remote editor is a cool idea and something that I've played with unsuccessfully in the past. I've had I've had editors who I've worked with in person, but I haven't ever had success with a remote editor. But I I love the idea. 
You know, the issue with that though, and, and this is where a lot of people, it, it's sort of like this grandiose idea. Oh, I'll just have someone edit it for me. No, no, no. It's not that easy. Cause then not only do you have to upload all the video content and send it to them, which can be a bitch sometimes, which like just in and of itself, like that can take a while, mm-hmm. but also you, they have to edit it and then you have to review the edits and check for any mistakes on there and, and check to see if it's the way that you want it done. And then sometimes it can take just as much time if you had just done it yourself, which is what I realized when I started editing my own videos. I was like, this takes the exact same amount of total time. It's just on in one hand, I'm watching the video, scrutinizing and then giving my feedback and then going to have to do that over and over and over again. And in the other scenario, I'm just doing it from the beginning, but it takes the same amount of total time. So hang on, but but then what is the long term, or you just don't know? You're, bro, if you ever stop making content, you know people are going to kill me, right? Because they're going to think that I <laughs> did this to you. <laughs> I, I'm not going to stop making, I'm going harder on my podcast now than ever. I'm doing, I, like, I'm going even harder on my podcast than I was. I'm doing at least two to three a day uh, with Inner Circle members. Yeah, I've been doing a lot lately with Inner Circle members. You're uploading uh, 15 podcasts a week? No, no, no. So, so I don't publish all of them. I don't publish all the conversations I have with inner circle members. Um, but I do at least two inner circle podcasts a day. Uh, and then sometimes one, and I do at least two to three other, other people's podcasts a week. So I'm doing a lot of podcasts every week. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's my, that's like my favorite type of content to make right now. Um, Realistically, I think my ultimate favorite type of content to make is YouTube videos because I, I can bring in characters and do voices and all that stuff, but the time investment makes it not worth it for me anymore. Whereas with podcasts, I can crank it out. I have a great conversation. I enjoy doing it. And for the inner circle ones, I publish probably about 50% of the conversations that I have. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. So I'm not going to stop making content, but specifically around, I mean, Instagram feed posts, I've done next to none and YouTube I've done next to none, but podcasting and Instagram story, I'm doing a lot. Cool, man. Yeah, man. That's it. You making a content comeback? Oh yeah. For the book. Big time. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is the, maybe that'll just be the title. Like six months of free content because I have to sell this fun. <laughs> no, I've, uh, uh, you know, I podcast here with you. Feeling pretty good about that. Good. Good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a real plan right now. My plan right now is to bench 225 for 20 reps, um, which has been my plan for about five years, but I've, I've, worked back onto that Syatt Fitness. By the way, I'm going to give you a shout out right now. I'm going to give you some love here on the podcast. In 2016, Jordan did my programming for me. (laughs) And it was the fastest that I've ever gained both strength and muscle was when I was doing those workouts, which I've actually, you know, sometimes a client will email you and be like, Hey, like been, or an old client be like, Hey, it's been a long time. I just wanted you to know, like I started back up on those workouts from three years ago. It's going really well. Like, thank you so much. That's been me for the last month. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling good. So we'll see 225 by 20 has been just a fun, random, arbitrary bench press goal. But, uh, I'm afraid that I would have to get bigger than I want to, to be able to be strong enough to do that. But we'll, we'll see. I'm just doing that right now taking a day at a time that's i remember those were great workouts 
Oh yeah. Those were great workouts. Yeah. Those were fun back in uh, that was 2016 or 2017, 2016, 2016, 2016. Yeah. yeah, Summer 2016. We were out East and, uh, Sleeping yeah. on the same air mattress. Yeah, we talked about <laughs> I texted you that the other day. I was like, I can't believe we did that. Because <laughs> we didn't know each other that well at the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't at all, but we got to know each other very quickly. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> and you and you read Hickson's book, Hickson Gracie's book, Breathe. Really good book. Real, so this is where I feel like <laughs> I texted you about what's the other the the samurai book i forget musashi his, musashi cuz you had started reading that and uh and i thought of it when i was done with hickson's book and i looked at it and the audiobook was 53 hours and i was like jordan <laughs> is this the right book like <laughs> like yeah that's the one I was, and in my mind i was because hickson's book made me want to made made jiu-jitsu as attractive as it's ever been to me Mm. Well, I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, and, uh, and then when I thought, when I considered reading that Musashi book, I was, I immediately had a flashback to like the person who has read every single article about programming has like, you know, gone through starting strength with an, a highlighter and underlying three times through, but like, hasn't actually been in the gym. I was like, I'm not reading a 53 hour book about being a samurai when I'm not practicing any kind of martial arts. So I, I, I backburnered that Hicks and Gracie's book, breathe is six hours long. Uh, I don't know how many pages that translates to. I've been doing a lot of outdoor walking and, and hence the audiobooks, but, um, his story is amazing. And I like audio. I like, uh, sorry, biographies in general from, you know, people who I respect and revere and have cool stories and something to learn from. Um, but having watched choke his documentary around one of his, uh, fighting tournaments, um, in Japan back in like the nineties, I believe, and having a little bit of context on him and the Gracie family in general. And then reading the book was very enjoyable. Yeah. For for everyone who doesn't know, the the Gracie family is like jujitsu royalty. They they're they're the family that really popularized the sport of jujitsu. It's that's why often people call it Gracie Jujitsu. So Hicks and Gracie recently came out with a book called Breathe that I have not read yet, but everyone that I know in the jujitsu community is reading it, saying it's amazing. I know you read it. Do you and you're gonna hate me for bringing this up. Do you think that you're gonna give it give it a shot? You're gonna go to do some jujitsu classes? The timing is uncertain. Look, I'll say this. I I will at some point want to be able to kill an intruder into my home to protect my wife and children at some mm. point in my life, probably in the not too distant future. And I have come to believe that jujitsu is the best uh, form of self-defense for hand-to-hand combat. Mm. And so... By way of deduction, yes, I, I think that that is on the table. Let's go. I'm not looking forward to it because I'm not looking forward to putting on the back burner weightlifting, which I will have to do, kind of like we talked about yesterday, for a, a period of time. But uh, yeah, it's it's inevitable. Yeah. I also, I also want to know, you know, I've been bouncing around like uh, – 
location wise, I want to be settled before I'm, I'm spending a couple days in the city. I've been out east a little bit. I'm getting back to Minnesota a good amount. I'm considering where I want to end up long term. And so I'd rather not, uh, you know, go take random classes at random gyms. I'd rather have somewhere to commit to. Yeah. It'd be like if someone goes to a new personal trainer every month, it's like, it's doesn't work out well that way. It's, it's smarter to find a place where you're going to be consistent and hang out with the coach who gets to know you and, and be there for a long time. That makes sense. Just an analogy, King. It, may, it was an easy one. What's it, it like? What's it like being so jacked and good at analogies? I'm really not jacked. <laughs> <laughs> you're on that at all. You're on that push pull leg though. I do love the push pull leg. And I think the extra upper body volume compared to what you've done historically has, has helped has, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I'm def I'm I've <laughs> I have more upper body mass than I think I've ever had which I don't think says a lot considering I was never like an upper body guy. I was always deadlift king, like squat, whatever. Um, now lower body days are my least favorite days. <laughs> and it's so funny. It's like, whatever my goal is, it like, it really highlights the importance of having uh, a, a performance-based goal, at least for me, where it's like, whatever my performance-based goal is, that's exactly how I structure my training. And I really think that having a, 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 a push pull leg day, a push pull, a push pull leg split for jujitsu is probably infinitely better than an upper lower split. How come? Um, for many reasons. Number one, I think, uh, I, here's what I think. I think for someone who is in jujitsu, who is like, a someone in jujitsu who is great at jujitsu, but they don't have enough full body strength. I think an upper lower split might be a really good idea in order to just get more muscle mass on them in general. Mm -hmm. But for someone in jujitsu who comes from a strength background, who doesn't need more muscle mass, especially on their lower body, but could definitely stand to improve upper body strength and endurance. I think having one lower body day a week is plenty. Whereas, uh, the, the upper body days, I, I think do have a significant transfer over, but so, so yeah, I think it does depend, but I think for, if you have enough muscle mass already, there's a thing with jujitsu where if you add too much muscle mass to your legs, it's going to be difficult to move around. Ah, uh, yeah. It's going to be difficult because you use your legs like arms in jujitsu mm -hmm. in so many ways. And, uh, it's one of the reasons why learning jujitsu is so difficult because, you're learning all these new movements and all these new patterns and all these habits with your legs that you wouldn't do, like you would never done otherwise throughout your entire life. And so, and also there, there are different ways that you hold people with your legs. And if you have too much muscle mass, it can be difficult to make these connections because it's actually physically blocking you from, from being able to make the connections and to have enough dexterity in your legs. So, uh, so yeah, I like that upper lower, that push pull leg split a lot. Nice. I'm glad it's going well. And you like Planet Fitness. Big fan. Except, I didn't except, know that you love Planet Fitness. I didn't know that. I, I, so in 2016, when I began getting my dad jacked and we worked, I trained him at Planet Fitness. He had a $20 membership that got him unlimited free guests. I went with him. Uh, I posted a few times like of us in Planet Fitness and, you know, I was putting stuff in my story of us in Planet Fitness and just getting the like, just not even nerdy or dweeby, but basically dopey dudes replying about how lame Planet Fitness is. Mm -hmm. But then I click on their profile and I'm like, if Planet Fitness is so lame, then why is my dad stronger than you? Like, why aren't you making more progress at your elite gym? 
And, uh, and so that made me like, you know, when you have something to push against, it, it kind of creates that, you know, it's like having an enemy makes you more strong to one side or the other. And that made me really like it. I mean, it's dirt cheap. It's clean. It's, if you go at the right times, it's dead. And, uh, they have literally everything you could ever want except for free barbells. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Some of the machines are great too. They've got some hammer strength equipment. Like it's just purple, but otherwise it <laughs> Vikings. <laughs> Everything's great. Skull. <laughs> um, but there, uh, you, you said something interesting about they claim not to be judgmental, but really they're the most judgmental. Oh yeah. They are the most judgmental gym that I've ever been to. And I've been to some really judgmental gyms before. <laughs> <laughs> Elaborate. I mean, it's like, I, I don't have the picture in front of me, uh, but on the lunk alarm, which in and of itself is like, the lunk alarm is judgmental if you really think about it. To lunks. Um, to lunks, of course. People who like, to in, in their definition of a lunk is just someone who likes to lift heavy. But oh yeah, so they have like the definition of a lunk right there. And it's like someone- Gallon who, like, water, a, right? Yeah, they've got, God forbid, they've got a gallon water <laughs> jug, like making fun of people who carry around water to stay hydrated. A stringer t-shirt um, and like something that says something about them lifting really heavy. Um, and I remember watching commercials uh, or listening to a radio commercial about Planet Fitness, them making fun of people who take creatine. Vividly remember that. Um, they're like, we don't take creatine here. Da, 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 da. And I was like, what a weird thing to have a commercial about. Um, it makes sense, I think, for their target market of people who don't understand or don't want to understand. They just want to have a gym that they can go to. Um, but in, in the process of saying that they are the non-judgment judgment-free zone it's like they are going out of their way to be mean to people that don't fit their target market which could be a great marketing strategy for them it, it might and clearly it works super well they're, they're as far as i know they're doing great but yeah that's the one thing that annoys me about the place more than not having barbells it's judgmental towards someone outside of the quote-unquote core group or the target audience correct the, the other, I, I've gotten a, a little kickback from people as well about going there. The biggest kickback is being like, you know, they serve pizza on Mondays. It's like, pizza's I mean, delicious. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, it's like, what you are, are those people saying that it, it like using food as a reward for a workout is a bad, uh, strategy I think that's or what they're insinuating. Yeah. They're being like, and in my mind, I'm like, listen, if serving pizza once a week, gets people to go to the gym three times a week. Cool. Mm, yeah. Like probably going to be better off than them just not going to the gym at all. Right. Like I would rather cool. They go in, they have a slice of pizza on Monday and then they work out three times that week because they like the gym that gave them pizza free one time a week. Like great. It, it, for me, I don't see it any different than offering a cash prize for someone to like take part in your challenge. Right. Like if you're offering a cash prize for someone to take part in your challenge, I think it's it's a very similar, not the same. It's a very similar way. You're trying to get an incentive for them to do something. You're, you're, if you're offering a cash prize for someone in your weight loss challenge, uh, it, some people could be like, well, that's a really bad idea because they're not going to get cash for the rest of their life, da 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 Like you could be ingraining bad habits. It's not about um, 
it's not about the cash as much as it is about what you teach them during the challenge, right? It's not about that one-time pizza as much as it is about them ingraining the habit of going to the gym and exercising. And oftentimes, if they start going and exercising frequently, maybe they'll get to a point where they don't want the pizza anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's a, a very short-sighted view to be like, well, they serve pizza. <laughs> That's stupid. It's like, all right, well, at least they're working out. You also, I can't even imagine what you have to see in your DMs. Yeah, someone was, uh, I was having this conversation in my story, talking about what I like and what I don't like about it. And um, in the story that I, I, I wrote, bullet point, what I like about it, I was like, it's clean, $10 a month. They have great equipment, da 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 da, da. So This woman replied to it, and I don't remember what she said, but she replied. She, oh, she was like something like, oh, this should be an ad for Planet Fitness. And then in the next story, I said, now the things I don't like about it are this, this, and this, and especially that their marketing is like, super judgmental. Mm-hmm. And then to that, she replies, so I don't understand why do you come here? And she's clearly a planet fitness person. She's like, so I, so if you don't like it, then why don't you come here? And I said, like I said above, I like that it's $10 a month. It's clean and they have great equipment. She was like, where did you say that? I was like, I said that to the story you replied to above. <laughs> and she was like, oh, sorry, I didn't read that. I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> but she said it would be great marketing for Planet Fitness. She said, it, she, it's, I, I screenshotted it because it was so ridiculous. But yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff in my DMs is just mind-boggling. Blood pressure is doing great, though. <laughs> Despite the DMs, my blood pressure is the best it's ever been. Yeah. That's amazing. Blood pressure has been great. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting – like whether that is just a function of communicating with so many people and and so you're going to have, you know, a, a certain percentage of them who are just different <laughs> or if it's also partly driven by the mode of communication, uh, which, you know, time will tell. Yeah, I don't know, man. I definitely interact with a lot of people and I see some <laughs> weird shit from people like – I, I don't understand. I'm so far removed from that world of, of consuming content, like for the sake of consuming content and then replying to someone without thinking that they're an actual human. Like mm-hmm. it's a, it's a completely different mindset and world. And I think most people are, are like when they consume content and they reply to someone who makes that content, they're not thinking that that's an actual person. They're not under the mindset. Like that's a real individual and so I think some of these people just say things that are just so stupid without I don't I, I don't understand. For example, that, that the video would, that where would, I, that would never be said face to, in a face to face conversation. Ever. Yeah. Ever. And I think even when they read it back, they're like, that was so dumb. Like, why would I say that? I've had people do that before. I've had people where because you can see the date that someone sends something. And so someone will send me a message and then they'll they'll send me a message like we'll call it today. And then they'll look back through the messages they've sent me over the years. And then they'll be like, Hey, I'm looking back at the last message I sent you in 2019. And I don't know what the hell provoked me to say that, but like, I'm really sorry. Uh And it's like, sometimes people just say things without any thought as to like, I have no idea. It's very odd, but you know, the video of me throwing the basketball backwards with like to the net. Yeah. Someone replied to that today and they were like, 
So what you did is you just, you, you took that video of you missing and you only put up the video of you making it. It's like, that's pretty deceiving. I was like, what do you want me to put up? A 17 minute video of me like missing over and over and over again. <laughs> like, like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. You're a saint. You're a saint. All right. We got three good questions. First one's interesting. I'm curious to hear your take on this first one. I'm going to read it right now. It's a little far away from me, so I'm going to squint and do my best here. Question for your podcast. Can you talk about style of online training slash differences between online coach that is sending workout plans versus those that work with the client virtually like on Zoom and are doing a live session with them? I coach in person mostly at a gym, but have a client I train on Zoom. I'd like to expand that business and work with people online that don't go to the gym for my virtual and in person. I rarely have a set plan ahead of time as my brain works best when I'm with my client and the workout comes to me as we go. Do you train that way as well, or do you literally write up a plan every time you meet someone? I have a group fitness background as well, and many times I'm spontaneously coming up with workouts, circuits, etc. on the fly. I always keep everyone safe and offer progressions, regressions. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Do you have successful online trainers that actually stay for the hour or 45-minute workout? Maybe I can also send them additional workout they can do on their own time, but that seems hard for me as clients might not understand a goblet squat, etc. Thoughts? Thank you so much for such a fun and informative podcast, Judy. Well, thank you for the question, Judy. Uh, I'm a little bit, I might need you to read some of that back again, because I feel like there were a number of questions within there. So, so I, th I think the first one is, is mostly on, uh, you know, the, the way that we have talked about, uh, and, and the way that I run and you have historically run one-on-one -on -one online coaching compared to, um, a virtual coaching session where you get on Zoom with someone, they have some dumbbells maybe, and you sit there with them for an hour, like a one-on-one -on -one in-person session, except on Zoom. So we can start there. Yeah, I think that's that's totally valid. I know a lot of coaches who do that. Um, it depends on where you are in your career and what you want in your training. Um, I think uh, if you want more control over if you want the most control over what your clients are doing, then you're going to be in person with them, right? If, if you are only going to have like have the most amount of control over what your clients are doing, then you will only do in person. If you're okay not having the most amount of control, then maybe you'll do Zoom calls because obviously you can't put your hands on them. You can't like uh, be right, right there with them, but you'd still have more control than you would if you were solely online and sending them their program. If you're okay with less control uh, or the least amount of control, then you'll just send them their program. And ideally, as a good coach, you'll also include video tutorials so that they can watch them and see for themselves. Um, I know it's a very common justification against coaches doing online coaching because they're going to say like, oh, I don't know if they're doing it properly. Um, but the way I see it is if, if, if the only option is either um, working online without like a Zoom or without an in-person or working with another coach, and then they're going to go to another coach. And so I would rather have them work with me. I can give them my video tutorials, have them send me videos of them doing it once they've done it, and then I can correct it rather than just have them to go to someone else entirely who might not do any of that whatsoever. 
So uh, doing Zoom calls or Skype calls or whatever are great. I know many coaches who do them. Um, if you don't have many clients, then it might be a great way to continue to to improve client retention to help them stay on with you. But as your online clientele grows and as your time goes down, that's not going to be feasible. Great answer. From a financial perspective, I, I think you can think about it from your business's finances, as well as from the perspective of uh, what your client can afford. Doing three or four, let's say four days a week, they're essentially paying for in-person coaching on these Zoom calls. That's a hundred bucks a session, we'll call it, times four per week, times four plus weeks in a month. That's $1,600 per month minimum that your, that your client is going to be paying. That's, you know, 20K a year. Whereas, whereas online coaching, when you're not sitting with them for 45 to 60 minutes a day, four days a week, um, you know, you're going to, I mean, and in the former example, you might even be charging more because you're, if you're offering nutrition, if you're offering, you know, uh, email, tech support, whatever it is outside of those sessions. But if you're offering online coaching where you're not sitting basically with them through every single workout, you're charging, we'll call it between 200 and on the very high end, $400 a month, um, or more that, yeah, that's not even the very high end to be honest, but, but you're, uh, your client is paying a fraction of what they would be paying for Zoom coaching, we'll call it. Correct. And, and you know, it's funny. I I think early on in my coaching career, I would have been I, like in my in-person coaching career, I would I would have been very much against online for these exact same reasons, right? Like you can't be with them, da, da, da. But have, having gone through all the experiences I've been through with in-person, one-on-one online, online group coaching and then the inner circle, like more of a membership model. I, I think all of them are better than any of them alone. And as long as you give people the tools to do it properly, you're going to be able to help way more people online than you would in person. And that's something that has never ceased to amaze me is how many people you can help when you stop trying to make everything perfect, when you stop like having to control every single rep of their entire workout, when you have to make sure you're looking at, cause listen, you're, you're not looking at every single rep either. Like, and you're not like, it's just, it's not happening. If you're, if you're a good coach, uh, within a, a relatively brief time frame, you should be able to, to manage several clients at the same time in person. Cause, and your client's going to be talking to you throughout their set sometimes. And they're going to, you know, you, you don't need to micromanage everything and you can help way, way, way more people in an online model than you could solely in person. That's, that's the other point is in person or with the zoom coaching, you're going to be able to reach and help more people. And, and foster a little bit more independence and a little, like you said, give them the tools, right? give them technique videos, analyze their technique videos, you know, program in a way that's safe and effective, but um, you're also helping them get better uh, rather than, I don't want to say handholding because that's not true for every client, but there, there can be a, become a degree of dependence. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Number two. Oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Cause I remember Judy asked another uh, question. Sorry. Sorry. Something about like, do you write a program? Yeah. <laughs> So some, sometimes I work best when I'm with my client and the workout comes to me as we go. Do you train that way? 
No. There's a difference between being able to change your program on the fly and not having a program at all, right? And, and so you should absolutely have a program pre-written for your clients. Uh, if you're not doing that, you are not training responsibly. Um, it doesn't mean you can't keep your clients safe without having a program, but it does mean that you are not thinking ahead about what this client specifically needs and what's going to help them achieve their goals. And, and group classes can be great uh, for people who just want to sweat and, and get some movement and exercise in, but there's, that, there's a difference between exercise and training. And that's really the difference between going in and doing a random workout versus having a pre-planned workout routine and training program. Um, you should know exactly what your client's goals are. You should know what they're trying to achieve and your program should be attacking specifically that. And you should write that out. I would say each program should be at least a month in advance. Um, what then is going to happen is they're going to come in and you're going to do the same workouts together for four, five, six, seven, eight weeks. And uh, that is how you track progress. If you do a new workout every single time, how can you track their progress? You're not, you, there's no consistency. There's no way for you to know, are you actually getting stronger? Are you getting better? You're just doing something new because you think that they're going to enjoy it better with, with new exercises they haven't done before, but you're not actually giving them an opportunity to improve in progressive overload in specific exercises. So yes, you need to have a program, but there's also something called cybernetic periodization in which let's say someone comes in, they're super stressed out. They're going through a divorce. They lost their job. They're really tired. They didn't sleep, whatever it is. And they're like, Hey, I just can't do this workout today. Cool. Then you can change it on the fly based on how they're feeling, but you still have to have a plan. Cool. Well, we're, we're pushing time. So we got two, two pretty short ones. I think we can get through both of them here. Cool. Uh, how to lose the last five pounds. Any tips? It's been almost two months. What do you think, Michael? I think that anyone asking this question, and and I think you will be able to better glamorize this or, or maybe make this answer hit the intended audience, but anyone who, quote, needs to lose the last five pounds and it's been two months and they haven't lost any, doesn't need to lose the last five pounds. Like shifting to maintenance, shifting to a different goal, shifting to trying to get stronger, shifting to gaining lean mass. Um, there's nothing wrong with having precise fat loss targets, right? Like I have a client right now who, you know, we're maybe like seven or eight pounds away from where he wants to be and where I want him to be before we transition into another muscle gain phase. That's okay. It, having precise targets is okay, but having this perpetual like I just need to lose a little bit more fat and then I'll feel good and then I'll be done. But I also haven't been making progress toward that goal. I mean, for one, you're not going to look any different down five pounds, right? You might be able to notice something, but you're, you're basically, even in a swimsuit, it, you're not going to look different losing five pounds of body fat. Um, and there's, it, it just is a question coming from a mindset of all, you know, whether it's a fixation on, oh, I remember when I weighed 130 and I'm 135 now and I remember feeling good at 130, so I want to get to 130 again. There's some kind of emotional attachment to a number, whether it's that or just this moving target. Like, you know, once you lose five, then really you want to lose another five and then you want to lose another five, whatever it is. Uh, 
losing those five pounds isn't going to be the solution. And so I, I would say that if you've been trying hard for two months and you can't lose that last five and you still want to lose five more, it's a good time to change your goal and, and your focus. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent with everything you said. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the way I always think about it is like, almost everybody has this experience where they look at an old picture of them, whether it's in a swimsuit or not, they look at an old picture when they weighed less and they're like, Oh my God, I looked so good. But if they go back to that person in that picture, in that time, they were self-conscious with how they looked in that moment and they didn't like how they looked and that person still wanted to lose weight. It's like, it's always hindsight is always better right? You're always like, you always like, Oh, I looked so good. How did I not realize how good I looked in that picture? So if you really think you're going to love how you look way more five pounds lighter, because that's what you weighed several years ago. No, it's not, it's not how it works. Like you're, you might get there, but you all, what you have to do is analyze the cost. Sort of like how I analyze the cost of the YouTube video versus the podcast, right? It's like, you have to analyze what's the cost versus the benefit here. Um, in terms of losing those last five, or it's usually the last five or last 10 pounds is what people say. How do you lose the last five, last 10 pounds? Um, let's say you can lose those last five pounds. How is your life going to be any better? Like what's going to happen in your life? Like, are you, are you all of a sudden going to be like significantly happier? And in order to understand that, you have to understand what you have to give up in order to achieve those five pounds. You're going to have to reduce your calories significantly further. You're probably going to have to increase your activity. You're probably not going to be able to be as flexible and lenient with your nutrition when you go out with friends and family. So you're not going to be able to eat as many as much chips and guac at the Mexican restaurant. You're not going to be able to have a dessert as much as you want. Maybe you'll have to say no to the drinks, whatever it is. Is that worth it for you? Right? And if if you can really think about your life like that, do you really think being five pounds lighter but being significantly more strict with your nutrition is going to make you happier? Probably not. It's probably going to make you feel deprived and upset and feel like it's unfair that you can't be enjoying yourself when in reality you can, you're just imposing that on yourself. Um, and again, the question isn't last 50 pounds where health is at play. We're talking about the last five pounds. Great answer. How much to charge for online coaching? Um, man, we could talk about this for a long time. Um, it's, I would say when it's early on, when you have no clients, I'd say start with free just because you have no clients and people aren't paying you. So, and you need people to get in and the first round of clients you take on for free will be great testimonials and referrals to get your next round of clients being paying, right? So you take on one, two, three, four, five clients for free guarantee you're going to get some paying clients after that. So it'd start with free. And then I would, I mean, I'd start, I don't know, at least a hundred dollars a month, maybe as like a baseline, a hundred dollars a month at the lowest point after free. Then from there, go to 150. Then from there, go to 200. Um, and then you could go up as high as you want, but as you get more and more clients and you raise your prices, what really, um, what really becomes the deciding factor is what you feel comfortable with. Um, and there's a difference between feeling comfortable with it versus being nervous to raise your prices. They're two different things, right? Like every time I raised my prices, I was always nervous about it, but there came a point where I felt like I was actually charging more than I was worth, more than my services were worth. So I remember there was a time where I got up to about $500 a month, but I didn't feel good about that. I was not 
when I sent that link, I was not feeling like this is fair. So then I ended up reducing my prices until I was around $300 a month. And that's where I sort of landed as my, my, my most common price after a certain point. But I went from like and, free and, to- And for context, those are $2016. So we need to inflation adjust yeah. the 300. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exactly right. So I went from free and then I remember the first time I charged, it was like $20 for a 12 week program to some kid in my college dorm and progressively went up and up and up. And every single time I raised my prices, I was always nervous, but it wasn't until I got to about four and $500 a month that I didn't feel good about it anymore. And so that that's purely individual. I'm not saying those are the numbers you have to follow, but your, your gut and intuition will tell you, I mean, there, I have some friends and colleagues who charge four or five, six hundred dollars a month and they feel great about it and their services are awesome. So fantastic. But for me, I felt best around three hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Which for whatever it's worth, it, it translates to about seventy-five dollars a week. So seventy-five dollars a week when a single one-on-one personal training session is usually anywhere between eighty to a hundred and fifty dollars an hour, like seventy-five dollars a week is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. It's actually it's a it's a very, very affordable and very uh very low cost if you think about it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We, uh, we often get people who reach out to join the mentorship and we'll get questions submitted through the website that are along the lines of, hey, I want to build a high ticket coaching business. I really <laughs> want, you know, a few clients that I really help a lot and go the high ticket route. And by the way, I don't know who invented that term, but I couldn't be more annoyed with it. What a loser. (laughs) (laughs) When I follow up, like how how much do you, like, what is high ticket? I just want to make sure we're on the same page because they ask if that's something that we can help them build in the mentorship. And they'll say like $2,000 to $5,000 a month for one-on-one fitness coaching. And and I'm like, no, we can't help you with your high ticket. Um, the hell are you going to offer for two to five thousand a month? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, not to mention, then you're at. If you think about back to the point in the book, anti fragile, like having more clients at a more reasonable amount, having you know forty clients paying you three hundred a month compared to a handful of clients paying you several thousand each. You're anti-fragile with more clients, with fewer clients, you know, one or two of them have a blip in the road and if something happens, job lost, whatever it is, and all of a sudden your your net income is down 40% overnight. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not an anti-fragile business model. Uh, but yeah, like, like you said, we all have a different amount. When I, when I charged $500 a month for one-on-one coaching, I didn't feel great about it. I pulled back and, and in the 350 to 400 range is, is where I have ended up feeling comfortable. Um, the only other point I would make on top of what you said is with the free clients, even early on, I would make my default paid, but offer free coaching for someone who can't afford it. Um, and, and I was even charging as little as like, you know, 30 or 40 or $50 a month uh, early on just to give the client a little skin in the game, a little investment, make it matter a little more to me, just make it feel a little more real, even if it was an amount of money that wasn't, that that didn't necessarily matter to either of us. It made the arrangement more real. Um, That being said, there are people who you will want to work with who can't even afford that. And that's, 
completely understandable. And, and then coaching them for free still yields all of the benefits to helping you become a better coach, helping with your programming, you know, getting a testimonial, uh, helping build your online coaching systems, which is huge, uh, especially early on and, and only comes through practice and time, not through, you know, some software that you build that's automatically going to blow up your, your coaching business. Um, great episode. Feels good to be back. Where, where can people ask questions? Is it on how to become a personal trainer.com? Where, or do we not have that yet? We asked for it. I don't know if it exists yet. Got it. Okay. Soon. Is it going to be on how to become a personal trainer? Yes. Yeah. Soon on how to become a personal trainer.com, which is our, our podcast website, we're going to have a, a question box where so any questions you have, you can put them in there and we will answer them just like we did in this Q&A. Uh, in the meantime, feel free to DM or email. Actually, email is probably the better option. Um, what email or no, yeah, not email. Yeah, yeah. Info at fitnessbusinessmentorship.com. Info at fitnessbusinessmentorship.com. Hey, Mike and Jordan, what's up? Got a question for the pod insert. And then I have, uh, basically my, my wedding 2.0 slash honeymoon coming up in, uh, in about a week. So there will be another week or so where we don't have a podcast, but after that, not going anywhere for a long time. So we're going to be very consistent with these podcasts as we've said before. So take this with a <laughs> grain of salt. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Everyone have a great day and we will see you soon.